0: Federal Drive is presented by GEHA, Government Employees Health Association, proudly providing health and dental benefits to federal employees and their families. Visit GEHA.com.
1: Illegal fishing harms the legal fishing industry and endangers the marine ecosystem. That's why the Coast Guard and other agencies spend so much time trying to detect and stop it. Now the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency is launching a prize challenge for data-based ways to get on top of illegal fishing. For details, here's research and development scientist, Mike Brady. Mr. Brady, good to have you with us. Uh, Great to be here, thank you. And let's start with, well, has the NGA ever had a role to date in the illegal fishing idea, or is this something new for the agency?
0: Yeah, so this is a, a space where NGA is getting more into, as you know, or maybe some of your listeners, if you're not familiar, NGA is in the business of providing geospatial intelligence, or GEOINT for short, GeoInt tells us where something happens and when. And NGA does have a role in, especially more recently, in providing information on where fishing and illegal fishing is occurring around the world through GeoInt. And we support our combatant commands so that they can keep track of what's going on in their areas of responsibility. And this challenge is really about complementing the work that's being done at NGA focused on detecting fishing and illegal fishing. We're looking to forecasting such activity, which goes hand-in-hand with detection.
1: And just a detail question, I think of NGA as mostly data based from satellite imagery. And is the resolution these days sufficient from satellites that you can see what's going on at the level of a fishing boat?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, this is more on the t- detection side. But sure. Yeah, we, we, we detect boats.
1: And tell us about this prize challenge. You've got a million dollar prize for data based approaches using open source data to help forecast. What are you driving at here?
0: At NGA, much of what we do is what we call anticipatory analysis. So we want to know what happens before it does, right? It's one thing. It's super important and necessary to be able to detect phishing activity to make a determination. Is it legitimate? Is it not legitimate? But it's also extremely useful to anticipate where fishing activity is going to occur so we can be more prepared to address those threats.
1: So the idea is the combatant command or the Coast Guard or somebody that you could alert could head off that fishing before it happens. That's correct. All right. We need to preserve those herring stocks, that's for sure. And so how does the contest work? What are you looking for from contestants or people entering You know, this idea contest? What are you looking for?
0: Yeah. So this is a two-phase challenge. We actually just started. We kicked off on 8 January. The first phase of the challenge is going to go through one March. We're asking participants to forecast what's called fishing effort you know, we grid the world up by one square kilometer and we count the time that fishing vessels spend in those square one kilometer cells. That's called fishing effort. We're looking at forecasting future fishing effort, as we can compare it against historical. That's one where we're evaluating contestants, but we're also interested in a written summary of how they're approaching the problem. And that's something where we're looking to learn about innovative data sets, new ideas. That's one thing, you know, with this challenge, it's a way that the NGA can complement its traditional acquisition process, you know, things we're not thinking of. So great question. We're looking to see what kind of data can be brought to bear on this challenge from participants. And the contest notes
1: that you need to use open source data, data available to anyone. You can't use secret government data, I suppose, to try to find this out. Without giving away the contest, what are typical of the types of data sets that might be able to be enlisted in this process?
0: So the challenge, of course, we're looking to uh, what data sets are in the public domain, also commercial data sets, obviously unclassified. We anticipate participants making use of what's called automatic identification systems, data AIS. This is vessel broadcasts its location and inputs some characteristics into that data so we can know where the vessel is and where it's going, where it's been, and a little bit about that vessel. So we anticipate that being part of this one thing that comes up is when you're looking to the future is where are the fish stock where are they going that's not typically you don't care so much about that when you're detecting you just you can just sort of see where the vessels are where the activity is but when you're looking to where they're going to go maybe fish dock locations habitats may be more relevant in this case but again we're really looking for i don't want to hint off exactly what we're looking for we're looking for the innovative solutions that come out of industry and academic partners We're speaking with Mike Brady. He's a research
1: and development scientist at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. So at the basic level, if the world is divided into kilometer squares and a vessel moves through three of them diagonally, you probably know what direction it's going in. So what you want to do is build on that kind of basic idea and to really get predictive about where is it going to turn right or where is it going to turn left, that type of thing.
0: That's right, Yes. Yeah. So I mentioned the AIS data. You can have a ship that identifies as a fishing vessel, but that doesn't mean it's fishing when it's traveling diagonally through three cells. So it's really, to be able to get at that, we need to assess the behavior. So what is the vessel doing? Is it meandering? Is it sort of having the behavioral characteristics that tells us, oh, it's probably fishing? And then you start counting up the time it spends in those uh, square kilometer cells. And I guess there's probably no
1: limit to what you could feed into algorithms to try to determine these things. For example, what if that boat was also docked alongside some type of military vessel or other unknown vessel? They were both in the same dock, you know, at the same time. And one goes one way, one goes the other, the other's headed toward a war zone and maybe has munitions aboard. But it could be the fishing boat that has the munitions or this kind of thing. I'm just making this up. But There's a lot of parameters, actually, that could conceivably come into understanding intention.
0: Yeah, no, terrific point. So in addition to forecasting capabilities, we're interested in putting these forecasts into relevant context systematically so we can serve it up as not just... Here's data about where fishing is likely to occur, but what are some useful context information that can help us interpret what that means? And one way we kind of bake this into the way we're evaluating the challenge is we want to hear about ideas to summarize information like where is the activity occurring within relevant fisheries management zones, such as exclusive economic zones, regional fisheries management organization zones. That's information that helps analysts say, okay, this information is relevant for these particular regulations or laws, and it helps sift through the data and information to determine is this legitimate or illegitimate activity.
1: This sounds like there could be some real wildcard types of people entering. I mean, lots of people know marine activity, and they know about the automatic identification system. Ships sometimes trade transponders to fool people tracking this kind of thing. They all know this goes on. But I would think this is where some wildcard thinking could really come to bear,
0: Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, I'm really interested to see who comes to participate in this challenge. We have a first engagement with potential participants. We're doing an Ask Me Anything session. It's going to be my first sense of who's um, going to participate or maybe, maybe thinking about participating. As far as eligibility, the challenge is open to U.S.-owned companies. It's open to U.S. citizen students, and it's open to other U.S.-based industry, academic, and other organizations. The one key thing is all participants need to have an active registration of SAM.gov. But really, yeah, I'm interested. I hope we bring new faces. Sort of one, one thing we get out of this challenge is expanding partnerships. Uh, we hope that this uh, connects us with individuals that can do things for NGA that aren't in our existing orbit through the traditional acquisition process.
1: And this first round will result in a certain number of finalists that will go on to develop their ideas further?
0: yeah, absolutely. So the first phase, uh, which as I mentioned, the engine ends March one. Uh, we'll have an interagency panel of experts uh, judge the performance on this forecasts, and they'll select up to ten finalists who will be awarded each twenty five thousand dollars a piece, and they'll be invited to participate in phase two which will start um, as soon as phase one ends on one March. And then the participants will go through another round of fishing forecasts. They'll uh, refine their written concept of operations where they're explaining the, the way they've approached the problem. Phase two will culminate in a pitch event to the interagency panel. where We will then use that information to select first, second, and third place. First place gets five hundred thousand, second place 200000 and third place uh, $50,000. All
1: right, so that's when you get the real dough to start doing something. Mike Brady is a research and development scientist at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. And we'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to The Federal Drive wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. As the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency's Chief People Officer, Elizabeth Comstetter sees a focus on people as absolutely crucial to her leadership style.
3: to hear from our people. And I think in this role and over the years of serving, I've also realized there's never a one size fits all. You know, we think certain people need certain things at certain times in their career, there's no one size fits all. Neither can we also customize everything to every individual. So there's gotta be a sweet spot in building really great talent programs but also, like I said, thinking about can we do this in modules, can we make it a menu, can we do it just in time as people need it so they can practice the new skill or knowledge in their role. So I think we have such great opportunity again with the technology that enables us to really um, focus on how we connect people with their work and their team to get things done in, in very new ways.
2: This is always an interesting question. Is there a figure, either from your personal life, your past, somewhere in history generally, that inspired you, your leadership style, um, how you view leadership?
3: There are many figures who have been very inspirational to me, but there is one that sticks out, and that's my mother, Paula Brownlee, who has been a very inspiring leader to me all my life, And I think because, first and foremost, she had a strong family and a strong career. And that's something I always wanted. And I saw her first as my mother, but then I also saw her as a leader in her career and in academia, which was her chosen field. But I always knew her family came first. And as I saw how she balanced different family needs with also a, a growing and more and more prominent um, career positions in leadership that she had to balance that. And I think I learned from her that you can have both. You have to, you have to focus on different things through your career um, and through your life, but that you don't have to trade one for the other. Um, I've been married, happily married for 32 years, and I'm a mother of twins,